Clean contact. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. Hello and welcome to the Golf Practice Podcast here on a, a rained out Friday. Uh, we're back with uh, Peter Leinenweber and Peter Donahue. Guys, it's been a long time since we've sat in a room together. Yeah, good to I be know. back. Gosh, the summer just uh, all of a sudden exploded on us and the weeks, tur- you know, days turn into weeks. Yeah, the weeks yeah. haven't, uh, we've finished week three, so the weeks haven't quite turned into months yet, but we're getting to that point. Yeah. It's almost uh, July though, which is crazy. Next week. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Pete, what have you, this has been your first summer of not, uh, you know, herding kittens at, yeah. at Canal Shores. No, I mean, <laughs> I have to tell you that, uh, you know, I'm um, reveling in it. Uh, honestly, it's a, you know, it's a change of pace to, to have June come around and to not uh, have to be anywhere, to not have to be responsible uh, to any particular task or schedule uh, to kind of have a, an open field as far as how I will construct my day. Um, I mean, it's a slice of heaven, I got to tell you. Sounds pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, it really <laughs> is. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not at a loss to find things to do. And um, and so it's it's uh, it's 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 terrific. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Peter, last time we we talked about kind of that Canal Shores at, from Tom Coyne's book and how the you know you grew the the summer camp and and programs down there into what you know what it became. And then since then, I've you know been literally running or trying to organize all of those those programs. And I the thing that maybe is not the most surprising, but but kind of is the biggest, I would say, adjustment for me has been, um, I guess, like in the winter, winter, spring, and fall, our our job is, I mean, it, it's different than it is in the summer, right? Where we're we're together, we're hanging out, we can record podcasts whenever we want, we can practice golf in the cube whenever we want. Like it's pretty, you know. Sometimes the days get long, you know. We have to work a little bit into the night, and so it's not, you know, the most, you, you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah, perfect. Just different. Um, but then now in the summer, it the problems become like staffing. Workers don't show up. Workers aren't focused. Um, a kid put a golf ball in his mouth. A kid embedded a golf ball into the green. A kid is swinging a club when he's not supposed to. It, it, you know, all of these kind of like tedious things, but also I guess like things that are necessary to do well. You know, if you're gonna actually like grow. And run like a, a you know a m- massive you know we have ninety kids this week like a massive like golf program and so I I was wondering how uh, if you could talk a little bit about how when you know as you were growing this like how w- what kind of things like kept you going through that? Well, I think that uh, the idea of building something uh, that uh, or you know and building something by that I mean not not just looking towards the future but you know, every week in the camps, you uh, had an opportunity to build interest, uh, you know, in in the, some of the kids that came out. And that was directly, you could do that directly by 
my, you know, actually interacting with the kids more and seeing what I could do to kindle their interest and help them along. <clears throat> but then, you know, the challenges of how, how to empower other people to pass along those same messages so that the kids, you know, had a fun experience, but also an experience where they, they learned something through the play or through, well, we didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, uh, intense or deliberate uh, focused instruction with anybody. It was really organized play. But if someone was struggling, you know, you, you wanted, you always wanted, whether you were a counselor, I think, or, or a, a lead coach, to help them, you know, to, to enable them to, to get somewhere. Uh, and some of it uh, was, quite frankly, the, just the challenge uh, of it, you know, that you knew you had uh, 10 weeks of uh, heavy lifting. And um, and it was uh, it was I found exhilaration in that um, in that challenge and uh, so that's but I, but I'm just as glad to hand it to you. <laughs> yeah, I know it's <laughs> exciting and I like building big things and I like the potential of it. But at the same time, I can see how like massive golf camps like why there aren't that many of them because <laughs> it really it just like takes a lot. I don't know. I mean, Pete, you've been and the inside of it now a little yeah. bit. No, you're right. I think the I had some experience back in the like 2014, 15, 16 time with Pete. Uh, it was a different little setup. I mean, we did everybody came, came at the same time. You know, 8 a.m. Pete would give his sermon to the to the whole group, whether it was 40 kids or or 60 kids. Um, it was a little different back then than it is now. We have a little bit more room to kind of do a shotgun start, or excuse me, a, a staggered start where we can actually almost do an unlimited number of kids, and it's a little easier to run that way. But regardless, like you said, Andy, running a camp with 70 kids is it's a lot of work, and there's a reason that there's not a lot of camps like that out there. No, it's a lot of moving yeah. pieces, and, you know, and it's child care, you know, and you have to be responsible and accountable to, you know, the first one's in and the last one's out. Mm -hmm. And so the bigger it is, the longer... You know that that time goes, and the long and the more moving parts, the opportunities for something to go amiss. Yeah, like the mass amino points <laughs> yeah. going AWOL. Yeah, oh. <laughs> at lunchtime. They just left. Yeah, they ditched. Wow, where'd they go? Who knows? Yeah, there was a ten and a twelve-year-old, and uh, I forget their last name. Massimo was the was the older. Maxim was it Massimo and uh, Marcio? I don't know. Uh, two very Italian names, yeah, either way. Yeah, they're cool guys, but they, you know, they they wanted to ditch. Yeah. You know, I mean, who doesn't want to ditch? That was sometimes? back when we had full deck camp, so there was a lunch break in between the morning and the afternoon. So they had their, their chance, and they, they took advantage. Exactly. <laughs> they, they took advantage of our vulnerability, right? That's there, exactly that right. They helped us to understand, you know, what we needed to do to be yeah. more vigilant and to be, you know, more responsible. It would, to, to, to talk to the mom... For me, having to call the mom that a that afternoon and say I don't know where your kids are, <laughs> that's a, that's not a good feeling. No. Not ideal. No. Yeah, we've got we're on that. We've gotten got those coach sheets. Yeah. Every day we find out who picked up the kids. That's so the way to go, still, Andy. Still <laughs> that's great. Yeah. You still have, of course, counselors like literally the first day being like, oh. Oh, you you wanted me to fill that out? Like, 
yeah, we, we gave you like, a piece of paper with things to fill out and a pencil. We even like, gave you a pencil, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is what a pencil's not just a, a <laughs> souvenir. Yeah. Well, it's, inter- it's so interesting because most of our counselors, you know, are like 16, 15, 16, 17, and this is like their first job. And so I'm already, you know, already thinking towards next year of like in our staff training, we spent like two full mornings training them how to do like this job but we, we almost need like a pre-training to that of like how to do a job because like <laughs> they don't like a, a, a counselor was like well I, d- I didn't know when i was supposed to start today uh and i said well we send out email every friday and he's like oh yeah i i don't check email oh my <laughs> gosh <laughs> it's like, it's like okay yeah. you know yeah. what i mean and yeah. so it's like oh you need to check your email you need to be here when you're you know yeah when we tell you to you need to do when we say like we need you to fill this out during the day like we actually want you to do that we're not just you know <laughs> saying it to you and so but it's you know because you just assume that oh you know they would do that but yeah they don't, i've just so. had yeah, you assume that you've had an effective communication yeah. with someone because you spoke you speak the same language and you could both hear and understand but you're right the effectiveness of your communication is measured by how it's received yeah and so you gotta you've got to find that out you got to check in with them and find out what they're walking away with because like you say you know um you know <laughs> they look at you uh i remember when i was uh, inducted back in 1970 i got my induction notice to go into the military and so i went down to the physical uh, uh, down in chicago and one of the stations was you'd line up on the squares the corporal would you know tell you everybody come in line up on the square uh, take off uh, everything except your shoes, turn around, bend over, and spread your cheeks. And when, <laughs> when we touch you on the back, you can stand up and put your underwear back on. Well, every one of the guys, I got a chance to go back to that station because they needed a doctor to check on me. So I got to look at how I looked and how everybody else looked. And <laughs> the corporal gives that that order, which is pretty plainly stated. And then he looks down at his clipboard and everybody starts looking around at each other like, well, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> Just like our counselors. Yeah. It comes back to what you talked about, the difference between awake, asleep, and alert. Yeah. They were asleep. Yeah, exactly. They were dumbfounded yeah. by by the task. Yeah. Well, but overall, it's been a good good three weeks oh, i think most of the counselors have been very very well they've done a pretty good job so yeah yeah well and you guys do a good job and that's that's you know that's why i mean if they if they have feel some sort of sense of purpose and some confidence in what they're doing uh and they they like kids or they like you know to connect with people then they they start to get the idea yeah yeah well Peter and Steve and I did a podcast a couple weeks ago. We talked about excuses. Do you, do you have any any golf excuses that that you <laughs> frequent? Well, I used to. I mean, excuses are us. That was uh, that was, was me. What was the go to? Well, um, well, I would say that I I would say I'm confused. You would say that out loud. No, no, I wouldn't. Well, yeah, in different ways. But, you know, 
I think that uh, I noticed it one day, uh, especially, and I didn't notice it in myself, but I noticed it in one of my students. And uh, he would, uh, you know, I, he would hit balls off the planet. And then he would turn around and, and look at me and with this look like, Mommy, come, <laughs> come pick me up. I'm so confused. And one day, and so I said to him one day, well, as long as you're confused, I guess it's not your fault then. You don't have to take responsibility for it. It's a pretty good, <laughs> it's a pretty good excuse, yeah. isn't it? And then I started to think about myself. And like, well, why am I not playing good golf? Or why am I not? And, and I realized, well, I use the same <laughs> excuse. That's how I recognized it in him. <laughs> <laughs> and so then what caused you to stop doing that? that oh, just, <laughs> just that. the silliness of it to yeah. to realize like you know i felt like the spotlight was suddenly shined on me down from the heavens and it was like yeah everybody can see you <laughs> you fool <laughs> yeah. um okay so so if your ball ends up in a divot do you tell your group no but i used to <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. I used to. This is a terrible. Have you ever seen a lie this bad? <laughs> yeah. Make sure everybody knows. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. So why do you... Oh, and I'm injured. Oh, well, I, I use that one. Yeah. I still use that one. I mean, it's true, but it's, yeah. you know, hey, shut up. My As my father said to me, the fourth hole in Pine Valley, hey, nobody out here cares about your sad story. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because we, I mean, we were just talking about how everyone makes these excuses and we were trying to get to the bottom of, like, what, you know, wh why, like, why? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's just something that everyone, that everyone has. Um, I, I think excuses, golf excuses are the equivalent to people talking about their fantasy football teams. Like, nobody, nobody cares. <laughs> I don't <laughs> yeah, want to know. Yeah, exactly. It's your own prerogative. I don't, I don't. I don't have any any care in the world for that. No, yeah. but it's different. It's different because like well, we all do it. Feel, I don't know. Do you have? I guess on like Monday after. First of all, I don't do fantasy football anymore. Um, but on Monday after, you know, the weekend, do you feel this this like thing deep inside you, like imploring you to say, like, man, like Julio Jones was awesome for me yesterday. Yes. Oh, you do. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I do because oh, I've only okay. played it a couple a couple times, yeah. but I have definitely had conversations with people that will talk about their team for 30 minutes wow. on the Monday after like oh this guy did this and this guy did that mm. yeah it's it's just just it's a distraction it it stops us from having other experiences mm -hmm. that's all you know I mean sometimes you know my my baseball oh. teams whenever they lose I mean it's like I can hear the message coming from them now get a life <laughs> yeah. Well, the Bears do that to me. The Chicago Bears do that to me. So, hold on. You said quickly, like, it's to protect us from having other experiences. What kind of experiences are you talking about? Experiences of having to be in your own skin mm. and to, you know, to, uh, as, you know, I, one of the things that I recall uh, from being a kid is that you were trying to fill time. You know, and and uh, and you were dealing with boredom, you know, all all the time. It was like, well, I'm not doing anything. You know, I'm bored. Well, wh wh the whole world's your oyster, pal. What do you want to do with it? You know, and uh, 
And so we would, you know, we'd get up and we would pretend we were, you know, we were Roy Rogers or Hopalong Cassidy, and we'd ride our horses around the neighborhood and, and you know, swing from trees and do all that kind of stuff because, hey, you know, if you, you didn't do the stuff, you didn't interact with other people, you didn't pretend, you didn't, you weren't into arts and crafts, uh, you weren't into building things, then you were bored. Yeah. You know, and so I think that uh, I think that we see, uh, and you see this, uh, you know, in different ways. But all of these things are extensions of us in some sort of a fantasy world. You know, and golf to some extent is you can say, well, it's its own little world, it's its own domain, and you're, you know, playing a fantasy game in which you're a, a live player. And, uh, you know, I would say that as long as that experience engages you, you know, engages your mind and is a challenging experience and really engrosses you and stuff, then, you know, you have a chance to, to create an optimal or a flow or a zone experience out of it, which is, which is kind of what I'm trying to do with every single day. You know, like, how can I create deliberate experiences connecting with you or you know, doing something myself that, you know, fully absorbs me. Uh, and when I find that I'm not, and I do, I do notice it, you know, that, gee, I'm bored right now. Or I'm in a state of boredom, of sleepness. <clears throat> and I can feel, feel it now more than I, than I think I could before. And now I, I, you know, I look at it as like, well, what can I do with this? You know, sometimes it's like if I'm riding in my car while well, I turn on the radio. Well, sometimes that's just more annoying to my whatever it is that I'm uncomfortable about. So, you know, I think that I think that we look to find extensions and amusements for ourselves, you know, in the, the sports and the things that we do. Yeah, I heard a quote this week from a spiritual teacher named Ram Das who said, we spend most of our lives trying to convince other people our costumes are on straight. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I think, more I think about it, that gets to what, where it kind of like excuses kind of come from. Sure. we have this idea of ourselves that we're trying to, you know, portray to the world. You know, like, I'm a golfer. I'm a good golfer. I play with fewer clubs. I, what, I don't tuck in my shirt. Like there's like something that I'm trying to portray to the world that is who I think I am, but is actually like not <laughs> who I am. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. at, at, and then so when things happen that, uh, you know, maybe put a crack into that narrative, or or um, that's where the excuses or the explanations <laughs> seem to come from. And so there's like I guess they're maybe like protecting us from actually dealing with like who we are. Yeah, I would say so, and they're very amusing. You know, if you look at them from, from that standpoint. I had a student one time, Otto Zimmerman and his brother. I can't remember his brother's name right now. I wish I could. He was a, such a character. But as a, like, 10-year-old boy, he, he said to me one day, you know, we were having a, a dual lesson, and uh, he said, I'm writing a book. I said, really? What's the title of the book? An Excuse for Everything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I loved it. He should have written it. Yeah, he was I'd the guy it. to write it. 
I mean, if you can get to the place where you can laugh at yourself and your excuses, that's a probably a pretty enlightened place. But most people take themselves way too seriously about that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, then the question is like, if this this story you're trying to protect, like uh, whatever, let's like just say I'm a good golfer, you know, or I'm a yeah. golfer who can break eighty. Yeah. Um, yeah. If if that's like what you're holding on to so tightly, but all it takes is one round where you shoot ninety to just like shatter that it's like then why why are we holding on so tightly to these things anyway that all it takes is like one shot and mm. they're gone <laughs> right you know what yeah. i mean like uh, or one thing that's out of our control a bad bounce or a bad or getting the ball in a divot or your ball your ball plugging in a bunker i mean it's a lot of this is out of our control yeah absolutely yeah. like the ball plugs okay that means i'm gonna shoot double okay that yeah. means i'm not gonna be able to break par okay that means you know whatever 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 mm-hmm. and that means then like i'm not as good as as i think i am or i'm not as good as other people think i am right um but when ultimately like it doesn't you know how good you are is just like a fake thing anyway that we're all just you know it's just a costume i guess yeah yeah but you know it's fun i mean it's a it's a it's a fun thing to do and you know as someone said if you don't if you take it too seriously bad things happen but if you don't take it seriously where's the fun mm-hmm. you know i mean uh, uh but i found uh, you know they uh i thought i knew uh humility in golf before but i i i'm i've reached new levels of lowness as far as being a golfer in recent because i've deliberately thrown myself into an exploration which is sort of taking the whole striking action to a completely different place than I ever even imagined it. Or if I did, it was only imagining it as a 10-year-old, you know, and wondering, well, what's the right swing? You know, and then my life after that point, you know, was like trying to find the right swing. And um, and uh, and I found, you know, through swinging different things that you guys have brought into the place, like the speed sticks and the the big, heavy rope hoses and stuff like that that uh have got me like trying to to move as fast as i can i realized that that they've ripped the form right off my swing <laughs> you know and reshaped it because when i try to swing something fast i don't swing it on the same plane that i've trained myself to do all my life i swing it flatter huh. and uh and my thumbs get pulled right off the shaft so the grip doesn't mean anything that it used to mean. You know, it, it's, now it's in my fingers, and I feel like, oh, there's, there's verticals and that there's horizontals, and I need to create that, you know, with the shaft and with the, the, the hurling action and stuff. But this is totally, totally different. And so I don't find it very well. So when I go out onto the golf course, I hack yeah, and mm-hmm. so my measurement of the round is, you know, completely gone <laughs> from this experience you're you're describing. Yeah, but I, I'm not saying we should like not, like not take it seriously or not care what the results are. I'm almost. I think it's more of this is when when you're going to play golf, it's you're you're doing a I don't know a trust fall or something, and you're gonna go see see what happens, and you're gonna like be okay with what happens. And not try to make up a story about, you know, to protect 
some some like other version of like what you hoped would happen. Yeah. And, and you know what I mean? I don't you could imagine someone in your situation go play and be like, hey, Pete, what did you shoot yesterday? You say I shot, you know, 92. But, man, it's because I'm swinging these ropes and now my swing's not on plane anymore and my thumbs are falling off. And I, you know, it's a disaster. And like that's like your explanation for it. Yeah. When, you know, that has something to do with it. But that's you know what I mean? That's not all. That's not all there is, you know, all that there is. I, you know what I mean? I don't hear you doing, you making ex- that, as, saying that no. as an excuse. No, no, that's, it's, it's, a, it's, it's part of the though. learning process, yeah. you know, and I feel like, uh, I feel like that's a necess- those are necessary experiences out in the environment for me to, to live through. And I think in any case, you know, it's always like, well, what did your experience show you about what you need to do next? Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, John Rahm, uh, you know, is a great example of how how golfers create themselves, you know, for, yeah. for, and meet certain moments and meet them sure. brilliantly. Yeah. Ever since we had uh, that last podcast with Steve talking about excuses, I've been much more aware in the rounds that I've played um, of what I'm saying and what I'm verbalizing to my playing partners. Um I, I definitely know that when I was a kid, a kid golfer, that I made tons of excuses, all the ones we've listed out. I was the classic one where in the bunker, you got to tell the group if it's plugged. Because then when you, it also is a, it's a two-way street. Because if you hit a good shot out of there, then it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's even more impressive. Yeah. But if you hit a bad shot, you're supposed to hit a bad shot. You yeah. had that lie. And I, divot in the fairway, stuff like that. I, was, I would verbalize that no matter what. Um, bad swing. Oh, I knew what I did there. I knew exactly what went wrong there. Yeah. All of them. I mean, yeah. but now I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten a little bit better at not doing that and not not necessarily not caring as much, but not taking it too seriously like you were saying, Pete. But in a couple rounds that we I've played in the week since that podcast, I have heard myself say a couple things um to a friend of mine, Will, who I played with uh last week. I played a pretty good round overall, um but I heard myself say on once, uh, it was at Canal, and I think I had a, a, a ball that was in a divot, which there's divots all over the place there. The tee boxes are uneven. I mean, you could, the list goes on for excuses you could make out there, and I was definitely making a couple of them. And I said to him on the ninth hole, you know, I'm going to make a goal for myself to never make an excuse <laughs> at Canal Shores ever again. Yeah. In, the, the, in all the rounds I play here, I'm never going to make an excuse again. I've played nine holes. I haven't made one since. It's an early start. We'll see where we go from here. But I'm definitely more aware of what I'm saying on the course now that we've kind of debriefed on, on what an excuse is on the golf course and why we make them. So what, what was it specifically that made you decide to make this stance? This, I was this just goal? partially the, the podcast. Yeah, no, what, like, talked for 45 minutes. What? Um, I was just thinking about all the excuses that have been given to me by people that I've played with or students that I've taught and just like it's not it's not an enjoyable experience to have somebody just make excuses to you no matter what <laughs> walk of life you're in golf or or not mm-hmm. so I don't want to be that guy I don't want other people to be thinking wow this guy he just <laughs> constantly makes excuses <laughs> nobody wants to be that nobody wants to play with that person so that's why I think and for my own um golf experience I'd like it to just be more let the chips fall where they may. There's too many variables that we cannot control, and why why waste time worrying about them when you can't control them anyway? 
like a ball in a divot or a ball plugged in the bunker. So yeah, I've met a few guys in my life that were really, really good golfers, and that that's what they did. You know, they yeah. never said they never said a word about anything. Uh, you know, as far as uh, as that kind of stuff goes, and and uh, you know, they seem to realize. M- more than most that you know that there was this 15 shot spread between the best that you were capable of and the worst and so whatever came up that particular day it was like i'm cool with that and i don't need to you know uh, i remember this guy so distinctly he was his name was len kane and he was the best golfer at ridgemore country club and he uh he was the least excusing it guy I have ever met in my life. I played golf with him one day at Medina, number one. He hit his ball into a thicket of bushes that nobody, I mean, you know, it was like 15 feet across, maybe 20. And he kind of, he raises his arms over his head and kind of weasels his way in there. And he actually finds the ball and manages to punch it out, and then he hits a five iron eight feet away and makes it. <laughs> <laughs> no excuses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I have a, an excerpt from Golf in the Kingdom that I wanted to get your take on, Peter, because I know we talked, we had a f- series, you know, that kind of came and, you know, we meandered onto other things, but yeah. figure we'll we'll pick back up when the you know when the iron is hot or iron. Shivus irons. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Thinking <laughs> about it. Um, this is uh, okay. There's lots of swearing in this, so I'm just gonna read it. Sure. So if, you know, someone's it's listening it's at art. home with little children. <laughs> yeah. Like. Yeah. Have them leave the room. Well, most ki- you know they've all heard swear words before, but okay. <laughs> you could use the skip thirty seconds button on the podcast. You know, on Apple Podcasts, you can skip ahead. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. This is from a chapter called, like, To Our Ever Getting Better. Okay. And he says, but now, and this is at, like near the end of the book where he's kind of writing some things back about Shivas Irons. And he says, but now, before we go any further, let me raise a glass with Shivas as I did that night in Burning Bush. And say with all my golfing brothers and sisters, fuck are ever getting better. <laughs> You'll never improve yourself, my boy, he roared with a glass held high. How could golf ever make you a better person? Just look at all the ones you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all you've been talking about, I protested. Our getting better. Ah, oh, never, never this shit in game, he said with that manly smile. Just look at Evan there. He pointed toward the drunken figure across the room playing an invisible violin. (laughs) Do you think the self-improvement now? (laughs) To enjoy yourself. That's the thing, he said. And beware beware the quicksands o' perfection. Then he raised his glass of whiskey up and shouted, I say fuck our ever getting better. (laughs) I bring this up because the application of these many exercises and personal growth can lead to a piety and fanaticism he never intended. Crazy for God my teacher may have been, but a gray and lonely one he never was. As he often said, trying too hard is the surest way to ruin your game. It's the end of the section. Yeah. I guess I was just, I was thought, I thought of this the other, you know, a couple weeks ago. I played around, I played with Pete when 
my like elbow was hurt. You know, it's my mm-hmm. excuse. My elbow was actually like a shooting pain in the top. We talked about the last podcast, whatever shot would have been like 85, 86. And I just like, it's like not, ha- you know what? Just reminded me of this passage of like, oh, we have this idea of I'm going to get better. And like this year is going to be better than last year. And, and like the, the bad things that happened to me in the past, like aren't going to happen now because I've like done all of the, you know, this, whatever. I, I know Scott Fawcett's decade formula and I know mindfulness and I know all of these things, but it's kind of like at the same time, he's like, like, fuck all that. <laughs> so I, I just wanted your perspective on that. Well, I think that, um, I think that when, when you, uh, you know, you start moving in a direction um, and, you know, that direction uh, takes on some momentum, you know, and you, you make commitments to yourself and you're more responsible to your word to yourself. You know, you say, I'm going to get up and practice or exercise or, or uh, get after something, and then you do. And, um, and I think that there is a, uh, is, there's a tendency to become serious about these things. And to and and it seems as though life is is a kind of a balancing act, and that you you know you if you say gee you know I want you to lean back a little more on your left foot, uh, or your right foot you know at a dress, well then, you do uh, and that starts to feel pretty good and you don't even notice you're you're leaning more on it so you lean more. And then you lean more, and you lean more, and pretty soon you got to, you know, swing yourself back in the other direction. I think the same thing happens with seriousness. I think, I think there are certain things that are uh, useful to learn how to handle. I think discouragement and frustration, you need to learn how to handle that. And then seriousness, you need to learn how to handle that, you know, in this life. So, you know, as we've talked about before, as we began with Tim Galway, and he said, you know, if you're really going to have optimal experience, then that is going to have an aspect of, of performance, an aspect of learning, and an aspect of enjoyment. And, and when you become, when your seriousness goes to a point where your enjoyment disappears, well, then you know you're, it's time to... Fuck ever getting yeah. better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, thrash around, enjoy yourself. You never know what's going to tease out the next bit of truth that, that will be important to you. And that's the art, I think, of, of learning. It's like learning to come at things from different angles and r- refresh your experience of it so that it's... Because as... as, uh, as Shivas also says in that in the in the book that fascination has to do with looking at familiar things and seeing something new in them, and so you need to change perspective in order to do that. That's changing perspective is the most significant tool I think anybody can develop, as well as handles for discouragement, frustration, and seriousness. You have a take on this, Pete? I mean, I more have a take on what Pete just said. I think that was pretty cool to hear. I mean, when you think about in life, somebody who's too serious, no matter what they're doing uh, in their job or in in golf or whatever, (coughs) you always say, lighten up. Like, 
it's not that serious, it's not the end of the world, basically. And they've teetered too far that direction. And then there's people on the opposite side who don't take thing, anything seriously and aren't getting anywhere in life for whatever reason. And you tell them, hey, you got to buckle down. We got to figure this out. You got to take things more seriously and, and actually put some attention and focus into this. But it's a teetering act. And just like the golf swing, you know, I have a couple students, Judah Bempong being the number one uh, example of he was so far one way in the winter and we finally got him to where we needed him to be. And then he focused so hard on that. I think it became comfortable for him. And then he still was focusing on what we were working on to the point where he went flipped to the other side. Yeah. And I thought to myself, because I was able to see that and that progression over the last five, six months about my golf swing and how the same things happened throughout my life and that I used to be way too steep. And then I started working on this move that would get my swing a little flatter. And then I got way too flat and I wasn't able to hit the ball and I was shanking it sometimes. So then I had to go back the other direction. And it's just a constant balancing act. But this applies to not just the golf swing, to to anything, to seriousness and whatnot. And it's pretty interesting when you think about it that way because it becomes the norm to you but you still focus on that to the point where you've actually gone too far yeah yeah I mean the healthiest place to be is to realize that that it is a balancing act and that you probably don't know where you're out of balance at this moment in time right but you will soon yeah yeah <laughs> life is good at yeah. delivering that to you and I think to meet it and to say oh this is a you know this is an opportunity for me, you know, as uh, I think that's part of the art of, of living. I think, you know, from what I've read uh, uh, about Leonardo da Vinci, the, uh, the curiosity that he cultivated in himself, he was just curious about everything. And so as long as he had uh, the ability to sense the world in some way, see it or feel it or hear it, uh, he found uh, fascination and, and interest in it and, uh, and wonder. And uh, uh, I think that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the art. I like how he says, he says, beware like the quicksands of perfection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like describing it as a quicksand is very, is very apt metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Um, because you can see with whatever it is, I mean, I, I guess the example that comes to mind is like the golf, I don't, Peter, I know you're not on, you know, on Instagram, but golf Instagram and YouTube is kind of a big thing of people just like looking for perfect swing positions and perfect thing and with the idea of like, oh, if my swing looks a certain way, then, you know, then I'll play better. Right. And uh, yeah, if my head doesn't move, then I'll play better if I do. And, and it's, we have this like perfect equation in our minds set up that like if only I can do this then that will happen and it's so easy to kind of like get on this you know I guess either this train or or a quicksand whatever you want to call it of like oh yeah just keep you know keep doing this 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 but at the same at the same time it just doesn't it doesn't work that way you know like and so it's like that's where you hold the, these kind of same things at the same time of like wow like actually are we ever gonna get that much better mm-hmm yeah, no, I think that, uh, and then that as teachers, and that's part of our opportunity and obligation is to uh, is to develop, you know, better, more effective ways to to sell healthy ideas to people, you know, because it is. Uh, I used to be, you know, someone who you'd say is not not 
not not a not a interested or clever marketing person, but because I, w- I wasn't interested in it, I thought it was a bad thing. But you know, you're always marketing and selling ideas, and we see people that come in here, and you know, you can stand stand in front of somebody and say, you know, I don't think it's a very healthy thing that you're doing, um, but that's the way they live. You know, and, and they've got a lot invested in that. And so how could you, how could you like have stuff that was around the place, like articles, stories about people that they would look at and go, oh, you know, I respect that guy. Oh, oh look at that. Oh, look at that lesson, life lesson. Um, you know, I think that uh, developing authority is uh, as someone says, is get you know authority uh, is more than one person agreeing on it. You know, it's like if two of us agree about it in here. Like we look at you, like where did you get such a cockamamie idea? Andy <laughs> and I both agree that that's cockamamie. So we have yeah. some authority, right? Well, if if Arnold Palmer did it, or Tiger Woods did it, or uh, John Rahm did it. Well, that has some some authority to change people's minds, and I think one of the things that's so cool about the way world you guys live in is that we have so much more cool media now to bring to this. So that the message that you'd want to bring, you know, would maybe get through to people. Yeah, I think and I've been thinking about this a lot lately. That even in but in golf, it's so for whatever reason, um, it's so easy to get caught on how a swing looks or swing mechanics like over over anything else i've been reading and listening to this golf coach in las vegas named adam young that my brother showed me and he's very he would be in the uh like the michael hebron model of uh he says most most instructors care only like 99 percent about mechanics and maybe one percent about skills skills such as like where you're hitting the ground, where the ball is hitting on the face, where the face angle is. And so he, he says he teaches like 10% mechanics and 90% fo- skill training and things like that. And so it's very, and it's all based on, he's like, he's done lots of research and he's read lots of, and he, he's done lots of research with his own students, but he's also done lots of research into other people who have studied like how people learn and that, that people don't actually get better faster by talking about like, what the focusing on what the body is doing, I guess there's more things like that. Um, hmm. That he that like focusing more on what the club is doing. He, he uses an example of like he used to always he like his swing was too steep and he like could never get his swing flat enough. And so he was like obsessed with watching it on video and like that his left arm was never in the he could never get in the position he wanted to. And then he stopped videoing his swing for five years and just worked on skills and then. Five years later, he like videoed his swing again, and it was in the spot that he was trying to get to like five years ago. Yeah. So kind of the mechanics came out from, you know, you can imagine if you're trying if teaching someone how to get an inside out path would make their swing flatter, um, you know, just naturally as opposed to just trying to train a, a position at the top of the swing, mm-hmm. and all that is based on you know like scientific research that people have done with with golf, but also with other sports and learning other activities, um, but for some reason it's that's like a hard thing for people to to almost believe in or to buy into that, mm-hmm. that it's so much easier to just be like well wow look at that turn gankus is doing and you know even for me you know or or look at tiger woods swing or look at all these things mm-hmm. like if only i could 
just copy that, then then that would be the way to success. <laughs> so it's almost like we could have a library of of scientific research, but they're still like, well, I want to look like, I want to look like that. I want to, I want to be able to hit a draw. You know, good players hit draws. Well, yes, um, I think that. Uh, you know, it's the, the, the old stories of, uh, of form and function. You know, it's like, where do you, you know, uh, what's what? You know, and I think that uh, that's what I've been finding is like, well, um, I think that the, the, the stuff that you can learn from people that are focused on form sort of leads you to sometimes to function. Yeah. Uh, I was watching Jansen yesterday. Um, you know, with a young man uh, hel helping him to, you know, load his one of his legs, and you know, it had a certain posture to it. Like we didn't want the knee to lunge too much because that's an unhealthy position for that for the knee to extend much past the the toes or any past the toes and stuff like that. So your butt back more, and uh, and then once the boy was the young man was stable on that leg. To be able to uh, to turn himself or to do some sort of a uh, some sort of a strength challenge, you know, in that position, um, is that form or is that skill? Is that training a skill? I'd say it's training a skill, mm -hmm. yeah. but it ends up to be a form, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I don't think and it's bad. You know, mechanics are bad at at all, but it's you just you mentioned. Mar you know, you're always kind of selling an idea or always marketing an idea. And the people who are the best, the people who like are growing the most in the golf world are all like mechanics people with like their methodology. You mean growing in terms Just of celebrity? And yeah, popularity. celebrity status yeah, and, well. and following. And whereas like a person, if you're going to try to sell an idea of like, well, that could be right and that could be right and that could be right and... Also, like you might not have to change that much, but you might just need to work on a few things differently. That's not quite the people aren't going to jump at that in the same way. No, um, no. Mm -hmm. And so that still maybe it just will take would take the right message or the right story. So like maybe we could still come up with what that well, is. I, I think so. I think I remember you know years ago uh, Jim Payne was a fun guy who wrote uh, People Wise. Uh, people-wise selling, people-wise, he kind of trademarked this thing, and it was a it was an interesting thing. But Jim was a marketer above everything, and uh, it was I think he said program learning or programming fast change uh, enjoyment while you're making the change or something like that. He had it boiled down to you know these are the banners that that research says are the selling banners that you need to have. But, you know, the cool guys, you know, twist that stuff and make it, you know, make it something different, you know. And, and so I think that's the idea, you know, how do you make it, how do you make it cool, you know, to. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, that's a, well, good, that's a great but question. It's yeah. a good challenge, yeah. you know, because that really is our challenge. How do you make practice how, how do you get that across? You know, how do you sell practice to people? You know, the idea, the notion that that's, that 
is there some formula that you can sell that will engage them in something where they'll start to develop practices that they enjoy that that means they'll participate and do this stuff more often i mean that seems to me to be like a secret isn't it because if people exercise and do things they'll become better athletes and they'll become better golfing athletes but you it's know it's not as fun well, you can't get well. You know that's because of our notion of practice, right? No, because I'm, because yeah. our models of it are are you know drudgery. Yeah, yeah. Rep- repetition, yeah. drills. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I it doesn't do the same thing over and over yeah. and over again. Exactly. That's where it's that's mm-hmm. where it's haywire. It should be more like, you know, I don't know, uh, playing catch with a tree. Hey, let me show you how to play catch with this tree. You know, and 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 to do something that, you know, all of a sudden you can, you know, just be going back and forth and having that be, you know, engaging. I mean, that's one of the things I found as a kid. Once I started playing catch with trees, I could pl- practice anywhere, because you miss the tree, you just walk over to the other side and get your ball and fire it back at the tree. Yeah. Sure. You know, but that's yeah. what we've got to figure. That's what we got to figure figure out. You know, somehow is as teachers in this next level of things. And I, I think I have a, a lot of hope for it because I see, um, you know, the, the physical therapists and the, and the trainers of the world, you know, being able to take some things that we know will make you a more structurally stable or powerful mobile athlete. And if we can put our, you know, heads together as to how you could game that, you know, to make it like something that somebody would go, hey, I got to go do my lunges. What? <laughs> <laughs> I can't miss that. Hey, point. Seinfeld is on. No, no, no. Or, you know, whatever. I can't. Yeah. Mi- no, no. I know screen time for me. I need to do <laughs> lunges. lunges. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we're about out of time. All right. Thank you all for joining Thank us. Thank you. Uh, Clean contact. Next I hit it again. Because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. Hold back. Hold back. Here it comes. Hold back.